Indy Left, what is happening here? To check out independentleft.news. The Indy News Network. Indy Left News. Oh, hey, Indy Left. Independentleft.news. Great work. Indy Left News. The Independent Left. Dot news. Independent Left News. Shout out to Independent Left News. Oh, what's up, Independent Left News? Show. Oh, what's up, Independent Left News? Thank you, Independent Left News. 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 No, you know what we're doing? We're world building indie. Uh, indie. Indie left news. You were doing uh, the IN in recruiting. Indie news. Independent left news. Shout out to independent left news. Check out independent left news. At Kennedy News. I see indies in the chat. Hi, indie. Okay, great. Bye. Hi, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to How Do We Miss That? We're going to try this again. How do we miss as a show featuring articles written by independent journalists who expose corruption, cover workers organizing, and environmental crises while challenging corporate establishment narratives and talking points? New episodes stream live Sunday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Rockfin, Substack, Facebook, Telegram channels, and the podcast is usually published within a couple days on Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and more, iHeart. So if you are listening to the podcast, thank you. Go give us a five-star rating there. Uh, co- I'm, I'm Indy, co-host, founder and editor of the Indie Media Today Substack, uh, and now the Indie Media Awards on Substack, which I talked about before, but we missed that now. Uh, co-host of American Tradition on INN, and co-host of Nobody Wants to Work Anymore on INN with no himbo. Uh, I got this guy next to me. That's Reef Reef Breland. He is... Co-founder for INN, like me, uh, INN's technical director. He's the host of INN News, and he's creator, engineer, co-host, and then he produces and first Tar Reed Politics of Survival. We did that Friday. Hello there. Yeah. So we're all members of uh, Indie News Network, which we talked about before. That's a collaborative family of independent content creators. And you can find all our channels at IndieNews.network. I don't know why that changed all of a sudden. Please make sure to like the like the stream. Yeah, give this a like now. And we got to share it out like because it. we just got crashed. And hopefully this thing holds. Now we're green. Now we're in the green. So hopefully we're going to hold. But God damn it. Fuck you, whoever did this to us. Because now all the promoting and all the sharing and everything that we did to set this stream up and get people here... Is completely yeah. gone, and now we're totally fuck relying you, on the YouTube pixies. algorithm. And fuck you, YouTube, by the way, for taking away Eva Eva Bartlett's channel. Garbage. This platform is garbage. Everybody, go to Rockfin and Rumble. Don't even watch over there. Can we just go to somewhere else, please? So I don't have to deal with this nonsense anymore with these assholes. I fucking mm-hmm. oh, I'm so angry right now. That's what happens when you get a okay. stream crash. I am heated. Rockfin.com slash IND left news. Rumble.com maybe slash C slash independent left news. If we're lucky, I have no idea if we're live over there or not. Because when streams crash, shit sucks. Oh, it says we're live now. Okay, good. Okay, we'll do it live. Good, 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 good. We're over there. Hi, Rumble. We'll do it live. Your fake views. I know your fake views, but we're going to we're going to do it anyway. 70 people. Yeah. So, so we, you know what? 
Rage is a good mood for tonight because there's a lot of rage-inducing shit we're going to talk about. I'm sorry, but to trigger people, but uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get into it tonight. Yeah. Um, I've been a week. I've been quiet, so. pretty quiet on what's been happening, and I'm not gonna be so quiet tonight. I got some shit that I want to talk about. So, but before we do that, that's that's where we're gonna really go a little crazy and that's what she said <laughs> on a technical side you'll notice that the friends uh, that the how do we miss that big thing underneath me and reef is not there and spinning and it's because um our indie left.media site got went down and crashed and so did inn.network so both of those sites don't work and i can't put i can't advertise a website that i know doesn't work so I had to change the top of the ticker to how do we miss that? So I don't want to have it redundant and a couple things. It looks weird. So that's what's going on there. And we need to fix that. Linktr.ee slash IND left. I got stories. Ooh, one. All right. We talk about strikes. We talk about workers. We've talked about writers. We've talked about actors. The actors are still on strike, by the way. This is the Writers Guild. And the Writers Guild settled and made a deal with the, with the studios. Now, some people are saying, should they have held out for solidarity and waited until the actors made their deal? There was a lot of pressure to get the writers back to work. Shout out to Big Bad Crab for the photo, uh, for, for the thumbnail. All right. But we got this article from, there, there we go. Strikegeist over on Substack. Big fans of those guys. Okay, they've been doing good good coverage on the writers and the actor strike from the front lines. And so they went and they found a business affairs exec, someone who works for the studios, a negotiator for the studios. All right. And they're gonna give us their insight as to what they think happened here and what can writers expect now, who really won on what points, what it means for the future volume of shows. This guy, this person's opinion, and I don't, again, I don't know if this is a man or a woman or who this is, but I think that this is this is a really good article to to go over. So, what do you think of the writer strike, dude? Um, I mean, there's stuff and things. Um, it's it's hard to like. I mean, it's good that they're on strike or we're on strike. It'd be nice if they showed a little solidarity with the other people on. Right, you know, well, I think I think that's whatever. one of the sentiments. The first deal offered. Well, I don't think it was the, the first deal. Idea. This isn't even close to the first deal, sure. but you know they they've been out for months. So we're gonna read what what this this person and and it's an anonymous thing, but that this was written for the Ankler. This this first post first appeared on the Ankler on October fifth. The membership ratified its vote on October 9th. So that was about, you know, on Monday. So, Mola mm -hmm. Hollywood breathed a sigh of relief, relief from anxiety and from annoyance as the WGA strike, the second longest in history, finally drew to a close. Personally, this person celebrated the deal the only way, <laughs> the, the only way they could after months of compulsively discussing, reading about, and thinking about it by taking off one whole day from discussing, reading about, or thinking about it in any meaningful way, even if that day happened to be the day on which the long-awaited final deal terms were revealed. And now that we've had 
some time to digest, we're going to come back with one last round of commentary to offer takes as a negotiator on three of the big picture questions that people are asking about everything we just lived through and some predictions of how the deal will and won't impact the industry to come in the years to come. So number one, did the strike work? Number two, was it worth it? And number three, and what everyone always wants to know, who won? So he's going to cut to the chase, and he says, if you're looking for the executive summary, the answers are, yes, the strike worked. Number two, ask your favorite economist, philosopher, or politician if it was worth it, but it definitely didn't need to be this long and painful. And three, wrong question about who won, but if you must ask, we all won or we all lost. And I think that's a very diplomatic way of saying that the studio's lost because he's still, whoever this is, still works for them. So they break these down. And they ask how, you know, did, did it work? And, you know, they got meaningful gains and protections for writers in every sector of membership. So that's that's good when they saw it, when they announced the TA. And the final deal struck was indeed, again, historic. We keep getting that word popping up, historic. It really annoys me because it's used to set a narrative. But it's historic in its depth and scope. With the, with the Writers Guild achieving, to one extent or another, virtually all of its key goals, including first-of-their-kind benefits and protections around minimum staffing for TV and high-budget streaming series, success-based residuals in streaming, meaningful limitations on studio-driven use of AI in the, pro in the writing process. That's all good stuff. Um, but in addition... The New Deal extends the system of collectively bargained minimums and residuals to original programs made for non-subscription ad-supported streaming services. That change hasn't commanded nearly the same amount of attention or controversy, given that the DGA made similar breakthroughs in its own deal earlier this summer, right? But so what's going on here is is that they're, they're, they, they checked off a list and... Studios kind of caved a little bit, but the studios are caving to what they're asking for, realizing that they're not really asking for the right things. And that's what this guy is trying to say, right? As the streaming ecosystem increasingly embraces advertising in its ongoing search for a sustainable business model, history may find that the expansion of union protections into AVOD was one of, if not the most consequential consequential changes in this agreement. So they got something about ad-supported video on demand, and that's like what they're talking about, freebie. Everybody gets like a TV, a smart TV that's got these apps installed. So there are some of these apps that, that are ad-supported. Amazon's doing this. He's going to talk about this in a minute. Right. right? While many studio partisans would hate to admit it, the Writers Guild ultimately extracted concessions from the studios that almost certainly could not have been achieved without a meaningful strike. That's really important. No, they wouldn't right. have even been talking to you without a strike. Having said that, like, right. I'm betting you could have gotten more if you wanted to, you know, fight a little longer. Well, so, it says in particular, know. count me among the many observers who believe that the studios would would be would never be while the studios would be open to new rules designed to provide writers with steadier work and better training opportunities, it would never agree to straight minimum staffing rules. But they did. 
I also strongly doubt that without a serious work stoppage, the studios, the, the companies that, that run the studios, would have consented to any kind of performance-based residual in streaming. At least not on top of agreeing to such significant increases in streaming residuals more generally. Right. So the, those are big wins because I know that, you know, the people that are running, what was it Wednesday or one of the biggest shows on Netflix that's getting millions of views, millions and millions of views, and they're not making a dime. But was it worth it? Well, labor strikes cause economic pain to many for the benefit of the few. And that widely distributed economic pain isn't an unfortunate downside of such strikes. It's pretty much the point. Right. But that's good. Financial harm to struck companies creates direct negotiating leverage for workers who want a better deal. Downstream financial harm to adjacent businesses generates social and political pressures that further enhance that negotiating leverage. As long as the striking workers can capture the hearts and minds of those affected third parties and of the public more generally. And I think they did here. And he's saying that in more generally, the whole exercise is meant to send the message that in the grand scheme, doing right by labor is less costly and painful than not doing so, thereby making it easier for other unions to achieve meaningful gains without the need to resort to strikes. So they're doing it for, you know, they're, they're putting themselves up on the cross for everybody else in a way is what is what they're saying here. Right. Um, but this was an exceptionally long and dramatic strike. And exceptionally long and dramatic strikes cause exceptional economic pain. The most commonly cited estimate is that the overall economic cost of the strike was about $5 billion. Peace. The Writers Guild itself estimates that its new deal is roughly worth about $450 million more over the three-year term of the deal than the last pre-strike offer. Well, that's that's a substantial win, right? To, but to its credit, the Writers Guild's leadership has been gracious in acknowledging the apparent disparity between these figures, as well as the uneven distribution of costs versus gains from its strike, right? The leaders mm -hmm. and members have vowed that the union will remember and repay the support shown and sacrifice borne by non-writers and argued that its deal set important precedents that would in time and inure the benefit of virtually all the industry's workers. Okay. That sounds like a bunch of horseshit. So was it worth it? And if it wasn't, who do we hold responsible for that collective loss? What do you think, man? We're, 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 we're Is going it worth through. it? Let me work Put it. That thing down, reverse it. Flip it and reverse it. Let me work it. Yep. Right. right. <laughs> But he's saying that those are questions, of course, are for the economists and philosophers and politicians and not for anonymous business affairs executives. But for most people, I suspect the answer will be based far more on how they were impacted personally by the strike and on how they feel about unions more generally than on any quasi-objective cost-benefit analysis. But I believe we can, however, directly right, quasi, right? Uh, we can directly answer an adjacent question. Did it have to be this long and painful? And the answer is it absolutely did not. Because, right, for months before negotiations even began, a near consensus emerged around town that a strike was inevitable. As early as October 2022, a year ago, 
The Ankler, this publication, referred casually to the pending WGA strike. Just sort of the widely held presumption that almost inescapably manifests itself into reality. From there, it was a servant volley game of bad moves, missed signals, lost opportunities, from the studios making a too conservative pre-strike final offer because of that perceived inevitability, to the Writers Guild dismissing the studio's August offer as a bad faith ploy before it was even delivered and then countering with everything we said before but one less minimum writer. I could, and in fact, did write a 2,000 word... Right, well, that's basically what they did, right? But I could, yeah. in fact, uh, and in fact, did write a 2,000 word play-by-play, breaking the whole thing down, beat by miserable beat. Yeah, we don't want to read that, but because 2, there's no... 2,000 word play-by-play. I thought it was like going to be like a 2,000 word one-man play. Well, yeah. he could perform it. Whoever this is, I'm guessing we can get to the, yeah. We can get Mike Tyson to perform it. Yeah, with with a lisp on stage. Let me tell you what happened with in the negotiation. Bro, he it, did one. He did my, one. Don't know. laugh. He did one. I know that, but he didn't say negotiating <laughs> every five minutes. Negotiating. 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 Yeah, exactly. Negotiating. Negotiating. So I and so You'll just take my word for it. Whether a strike was necessary, they could and should have gotten through it a lot faster and much less messily than they actually did. But who won? Who won? Right. And this, and this, I I love, uh, you know, I don't know who this is, but this question reminds me of a classic episode of The Simpsons in which Ned Flanders asks Reverend Reverend Lovejoy as God is punishing him. Ooh, he replies. Short answer, yes, with an if. Long answer, no, with a. That's very funny. Looking at the whole thing from the perspective of a prof- from a pro- the perspective of a professional negotiator. Now that's a mouthful. If you look at the basic agreement of a professional negotiator, that sounds like Jason Statham's next movie. Perspective of a professional negotiator. Do you know who I am? No. You know, you know who I am. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. <laughs> So if you no look mind. at the ba- if you look at the basic agreement negotiations, oh, <laughs> negotiating more or less in isolation. I'm gonna do it like Mike Tyson now. The WGA won. Please if you ask, and if you ask the shit libs at Vox, they won big because Vox is desperate to promote anything as a win as a big win. The WGA managed to address, at least in part, virtually every issue on its list, from minimum staffing to performance-based streaming residuals to AI protections. The union dominated the press and social media wars, which the studios seemed to wage first uninterestedly, then inartfully. Although doubtlessly a compromise. Yes, inartfully. That's very, very kind to say that they bungled it badly. Although doubtlessly a compromise, the final negotiated deal looks a lot more like the WGA's demands than it does like the studio's final pre-strike offer and includes concessions that most insiders and observers, myself included, thought were not winnable, especially on the issue of minimum staffing. Taking a broader view, however... And they get pizza parties. They might. But taking a broader view, this is where things get more (laughs) complicated. And I I really appreciate this analysis because this is is really giving you a little bit more inside baseball about what's going on in the entertainment industry. But... This person says, just like every other new collective bargaining agreement, the historic changes embodied in the basic agreement will be distilled into a new set of production and deal-making norms designed to maximize the studio's efficiency, as they understand it, 
in the deployment of their budgets. Just like in sales, when you get a new pay plan, you figure out how to squeeze the most out of that pay plan and what to do in order to have to uh, work the least to make the most. Or where can I you know, focus somewhere because they're putting a big commission, so I'm going to look over there to make a little bit more this month, this quarter, this this year, right? And the studios are looking to do the same thing. What they're saying here is that virtually everybody seems to agree that the 599 scripted comedies and dramas produced for the U.S. market in 2022 represent the true peak in peak TV. This guy's saying, finally, I don't know. Uh, as entertainment conglomerates continue to agglomerate and also ran streaming services fold or fold into their competitors. The question isn't if the overall volume of series production will decline, it's by how much. Although it's going to take years for the industry to re-equilibrate. No, equilibrate. Try that again. Re try, try one more time. Re-equilibrate. There we go. One more time. Re-equilibrate. Re Hello. Yeah. Th thank you, yeah. Sean. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate that, man. That's that's great. He'll read anything you put on the prompter. No. He'll read I, anything you put on I'm the not, prompter. I'm not Burgundy, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe a super chat, but maybe not. Um, it will take years <laughs> for the industry to re-equilibrate. All right. I can I expect that the long-term carrying capacity for a healthy and sustainable TV streaming ecosystem is 300 to 350 scripted shows scripted shows per year which is a decline of 30 to 40% from the high watermark of last year it would take a better mathematical mind than mine to measure the overall impact but the decline in development and production volume will certainly and dramatically offset many of the meaningful gains that the writers guild won in wage minimums there's not going to be as much work available there aren't going to be the number of shows available Right. That's that, that's what they're saying yeah. here. And at the same time, now that Disney and Warner War, blah, Warner Discovery deplatformed several high profile but sparsely watched productions from their services, thereby shattering the streaming industry's previously prevailing, if naive, norm of universal permanent content accessibility. This is really important here. Listen. Studio streamers desperately in search of profitability will undoubtedly continue to prune their platforms of original content that they do not believe meaningfully contribute to their acquisition or retention of subscribers. In other words, all those increased residuals aren't going to be paid at all on projects that are removed from streaming services altogether because their low viewership can no longer justify the cost in residuals for preserving their availability. What just happened? Every show right, just went so to a limited time. Yes. I mean, Studio. it's literally back to... Might as well buy it on DVD now. Like... The studios are literally just going to be like, well, we're, gonna, we're not going to keep it permanently up. We're going we're gonna to keep it up for as long as possible. For as long as it's making us money. Yeah, until, it's, until it stops, people stop watching it, and then we're going to pull, pull it. Right? Like, that's... And it might be even if it it's get watched more, right? Because then those residuals are higher, no? Um, maybe, but only while the show is active. Like essentially, the, 
the minute right but the minute a a, a high grossing show gets like stops people stop watching it like it you know people have already consumed it they'll pull it yeah, except there's a lot of people that don't you know? really watch right away, so they're going to have to figure that whole thing out, and people are just yes. going to have to... Right, but let's say, for instance, something like Breaking Bad, where a ton of people watched it and still watch it because they haven't seen it, or Sopranos, or whatever, that would then have, like, people would have watched it at a high rate when it went to streaming. Now, like with that high rate eventually once it slows down they'll pull it because they can't afford to like have it there yep maybe i don't know number wang so uh right so basically they're they're gonna cut shows early and then they're gonna pull them from from the services but while the writers deserved every ounce of protection and secured against the threat posed to the writing profession by ai he shares the this person shares the opinion of actress and computer scientist Justine Bateman, Jason's sister, who has compellingly, if depressingly, argued yeah. that AI's true disruptive force will be unleashed not by the studios who they just made the deal with, whose leaders, despite the pernicious influence of Wall Street and Silicon Valley, they still retain some romanticism about filmmaking as an art form. But companies like Microsoft, Google, and Nvidia, I would argue Amazon and Apple as well that already have studios. They have no connection to the history of the medium, no institutional relationships with the creative community, no union sympathies of any kind, certainly not Amazon, right? And no substantial economic stake in the traditional industry to protect. Yeah, that's a little bit scary. Can you you riddle me this? You're, you're, You're a sales guy. Why has no one made a company called Macro Hard? you riddle me that uh no there is the there's always the macro and then there's the micro yeah no no i'm no? not down with that no thanks I'm, I'm i'm good no 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 um to be clear none of these dire developments will have been caused by the writers no. or by the Or by the substance of their new CBA, this strike happened because this is our collective near future and not the other way around. But we can also wonder whether the deal struck by the Writers Guild was one that optimally positions it for the challenges to come. So here's someone in the weeds talking about minimum staffing. But at the same time, what they're saying was, yes, it was big that they got minimum staffing. But what they said was, The minimums are largely in line with prevailing norms today and are unlikely to meaningfully change the typical composition of writers' rooms. I mean, that's nice. The union argued these minimums were necessary to avoid further deterioration in staffing practices, but this person's not sure that's true. They also know that, now this is the other thing, minimums have a way of becoming maximums, and many savvy studio negotiators Welcome, generous, collectively bargained minimums as a benefit to their work. How about that? They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get this yeah. number of writers in the minimum. No, that's all you're going to get from now on as a maximum. Or not as a maximum, but that's it. They can't go below that, 
and they're not going to go over that and they're going to make you have to deal with whatever. Okay. Yeah. So, and we're in the red again. So I, this is Dave, I'm recording this by the way. So if we lose this stream, I'll put it back up and I'll upload it. So, right. Uh, then we talked about streaming residuals and data transparency. Right. Talking about that they secured substantial and essential gains in residuals. They absolutely had to, but increased residual costs, increased the incentive for platforms to remove underperforming series and films to avoid bearing the cost of their continued availability. There's no blame right. or fault inherent in that statement. It's basic economic reality. No, it's capitalism. Yep. Just as it's basic economic yep. reality. Well, Capitalism. Capitalism. Just as it was basic economic reality that the increasingly felt impact of increases to streaming residuals that were negotiated as part of the last basic agreement informed Disney and Warner Brother Discovery's decisions to remove content from their platforms, all right, especially high-budget shows that were still in the costliest early years of their exhibitions. Now, here's what is interesting um the the writers guild's hard-won viewership streaming bonus viewership based will rightly reward creators for generating outsized value for the companies they work for that's good it'll also put additional strain on yeah. the company's hunt for profitability in their streaming operations further incentivizing right de-platforming of less successful projects so if it less doesn't fly projects so and they're going right. to pull it right away because they don't want to spend the money well mm -hmm. But it's also it's not just that they the more you spend on a on a like TV series or whatever, most likely the better it'll do, right? So, uh, you know, I, I know that's not always the case, but so that th this also means that there's not going to be any of those low budget stuff that is actually good. Like it'll only incentivize stuff that works to the median audience, like. Yeah. So that people will consume it. So this is just, yeah, like this. This in somewhat helps them only make terrible content. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. In theory, it should incentivize like underpaying for a project and having it perform well. But that's that's not how that's going to work. You know, like you can't take those risks as a producer. You know, yes. nope. So, and, and as and as a studio, like you know, they're all their jobs are on the line. Yeah, right. But um, as the in, as the industry exits, it's an era of reckless expansion and enters into one of universally expected contraction. This person wonders if some of the <clears throat> some of the negotiating capital spent on some of these issues might have been better dedicated to securing more evenly distributed benefits, such as minimum availability requirements in streaming to protect against deplatforming during the highest value early years of each project's run. Again, this guy is arguing, this person is arguing about things that they should have asked for but probably didn't that might have also worked for them and been better for them than some of the gains that they did win. 
but the ideological passion mm -hmm. and negotiating energy dedicated to data transparency, an issue to which the union achieved very limited gains, when which could right. have been decoupled from the success-based residual, could have been reserved for 2026, as the growing prevalence of advertising and streaming increases systemic pressure on the industry to share enough information to support a robust ad market. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like that. But after no. all, who won? <laughs> and I like I like this. It's if I didn't answer that question, it's always because it's the wrong question to be asking. The best negotiators, and this is coming from one, realizing realize that there's no such thing as winning a negotiation or winning the deal, or at least that it doesn't mean what people mm. usually use it to mean. All right? Because when you win the deal and you get everything and the person on the other side gets nothing, that's not a good deal that will end up serving you in the end, usually. Deals happen because both sides believe they're better off making a deal than not making one. Frequently, those, those parties are going to have to negotiate and make a deal again in the future, which these are, even if they don't in our industry, the negotiators who represent them will. So winning the negotiation isn't about somehow beating the other side. It's about making a deal that everyone can live with. That's good for both sides. He's he's both sidesing. Okay. Not leaving both anyone. Well, yes, but not the only way you actually make a deal no, at, it's okay. for a union, uh, unless unless the company jams it through and strong arms. The company usually doesn't or the just union roll over. Jams it through and strong arms. The company doesn't usually just roll over unless they're really forced to in which case you know what we happens gotta, they start to work with our slave masters it's they start fine. no they just start looking to replace the people that we, we've seen this over and over again little by little you start to see the mm -hmm. people that, that that were dissident the people that spoke up chop, you know chopped out um when it comes to a negotiation this consequential for the entire entertainment industry we all won or none of us didn't it'll be a few years before we know for sure so yeah, Mouse, um, to answer your question about boats, we do tag it. It's tagged, and it's up on Rumble, and it's up on Rockfin on INN, and it's very easy to find. Yep. The problem is that YouTube pulled Somehow it down. Somehow got hit for misinformation. They like both what, cats, cats aren't dicks, suddenly? They both Kids aren't hit, stupid? What, they, they, what hit, are we? they hit last Sunday night's stream. I had to trim something out. And then, in order to get it back and restored, boats and because don't of that, smash into other boats. I I don't understand it. Hmm. Me either. What's up, everyone? Let's do this. UAW, our our friends at UAW leadership. So, take it or leave it. This is this is what what's been going on. You know what's been going on since September fourteenth. It's now a solid month that the UAW is on strike, quote-unquote. We're going to go through a couple of World Socialist website articles. Now, it worries me, I have to say, that the only publication that seems to be behind this at all, behind the workers and pushing this effort to hold the company accountable, really is World Socialist website. I give them a lot of credit in this case. And I'm wondering why there aren't other publications that have gotten on board 
with the rank and file messaging to say, hey, get, give these guys what they're asking for. So first off, take it or leave it. Jerry White, just a couple days ago, right? He's talking about Ford Motor Company executives told reporters Thursday the company will not increase its total monetary offer to the United Auto Workers, making it clear that the corporation has no intention of meeting the demands of 57,000 Ford workers for major improvements in pay and the return of years of UAW givebacks. What a surprise, right? So we've reached our limit. That's what Ford Blue president says, right? So according to Report Automotive News, we've actually stretched ourselves to get to this point. Going further will hurt our ability to invest in a business like we need to invest. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So they break it down a little bit. The industry public automotive news reported that it includes an insulting 23% raise over four years cost of living adjustments, and a $21 starting poverty wage for temporary workers. New hires would reach top wages in three years instead of eight, which is good. And they're saying that they're open to moving some money around within the deal that might be fitting the union's needs better, but that doesn't really say very much or do very much to help a lot of people. But broadly speaking, from an overall cost of the deal perspective, yes, we're there. That... Ford, Ford guy saying they're there. By the way, he made an $8 million salary last year, essentially reiterated the, the position of CEO Jim Farley, who makes $21 million a year. And he rejected out of hand workers' demands. The money is there. Mm-hmm. We just have to use it. So they talk about Sean Fain, who is the UAW president already abandoned workers' core demands, which was for a 40% pay raise, right? The restoration of real cost of living protections adjusted to inflation, the reduction of the work week, the abolition of tiers, the reinstatement of company-paid pensions, and the rollover of temporary temporary workers. No more tiers. No more tiers. What's that, shampoo? No, I was actually thinking of um, Ozzy, (laughs) Ozzy Osbourne. But yes, the Johnson baby shampoo works too. So <laughs> UAW apparatus, metal, the baby shampoo, is it? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Well, the, at least the baby powder was. Um, the UAW apparatus. You see Ozzy using that. <laughs> UAW is focused on no extending its franchise. Okay, this is where UAW's focus is on extending into the new EV battery plants. So, and this is Jerry's opinion is so that it can collect dues money from workers who will be paid substandard wages and benefits. I think that's a little bit more cynical. I think they want to expand their membership and they want to make sure that the auto workers and the people that are working in the industry are UAW members and not right to workers or members of another union. I, I think that's fair, right? I, I don't think it really goes beyond that. You know, the, that the union wants them to have substandard wages. Nah, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. I just don't. Um, but while ensuring the financial interest of the bureaucracy, of course, Fain has already promised the automakers that the UAW will agree to the destruction of tens of thousands of jobs in internal combustion plants. I don't know that I heard that either, but that's that's an interesting take. But it's not clear whether Ford is willing to go the same route as GM, 
company is currently building EV plants in largely non-union Tennessee and Kentucky and has halted production of a plant in Michigan, which is the center of the UAW. Hmm. But according to the as uh, according to the douchebags at the Washington Post, Galhotra and other Ford executives on the call stress that the company is looking to reach a deal and continuing to look for creative solutions to meet the union's needs on retirement security and the future of the company's battery plants for electric vehicles. Can you give me a, a double CK, please, for that? Because I think we need one. Yeah, that's that's a big double CK right there. Ford Motor Company made $1.9 billion in second quarter profits and expects to forecast nine to eleven billion dollar oh eleven to twelve billion this year for full year, up from an earlier forecast of nine to eleven. So they've raised their guidance. Company's gonna release Q3 results later in about nine eleven days. Um According to Wall Street analyst Terva Atrevis, we expect Ford's revenues for the quarter to come in about 40.28 billion, marking an 11% increase versus last year and marginally ahead of consensus estimates. So the last two weeks of being on strike had no impact on the company's earnings is what's happening here. <clears throat> and we've had people mm -hmm. that came into our chat, and I do want to address that at some point. But people that are saying, we don't know what we're talking about. People who work in the plants are saying they're represented for the first time. And I, I you hear don't know you. what you're talking about. I, I, no, look, people who work at Ford, I certainly respect their their opinions or people who are UAW workers, if, if they really are. Um, I think that what they're looking at is a much more one-to-one -one case looking at it than as a broader union than getting gains overall. I don't think that this snap strike and that these these wildcat style strikes are working. They are certainly preserving the strike fund, which is, I guess, a good thing. But if you voted to go on strike and you're not on strike and you're continuing to work under the old contract, right. now you're still making a salary. You're still earning money. There are definitely benefits to that. The company doesn't know who's going to show up when. But you're also, you have no protections right now. Because you have no contract, they can fire you at any minute with no repercussions. But yeah. while UAW is currently on strike against the Detroit automakers, including Ford, this is unlikely to impact the company's Q3 earnings in a material manner. And this is, look, you need to, if you want to actually extract gains, you need to extract pain. And, I mean, no pain, no gain. They say that the gym... And it's the same in negotiation, unfortunately, with a with a, a big automaker. You need to extract pain. They're trying not to inflict any pain, but yet get what they want and play nice and patty cake. It's been a month, guys. It's been a month. A whole month. Facing growing opposition to his ineffective stand-up strike policy, John Fain called a strike at the Kentucky truck plant in Louisville Wednesday night. But even with 8,700 workers at Kentucky Truck, only 34,000 total out of 146,000, or less than a quarter, of big three workers are currently on strike. Factories that produce the automaker's most profitable pickup trucks, and virtually every factory in the Detroit area, the center of auto production, and the UAW headquarters continue to 
operate. Yep. Bane called the strike Making in effort. Money for yeah. Big man. Bane called the strike in, in an effort to get ahead of the growing demands by rank and file workers for an all out strike by GM Ford and Stellantis workers. He's scheduled to give a Facebook live event Friday morning, and we're going to cover what they're what happened during that event, which was no new strikes announced. Right. And then also whether he announces any more strikes or not, his aim is to prepare the groundwork to announce a sellout agreement. Of course, world socialist website has never met an agreement that they did not call a sellout agreement in all fairness. Right. Which will be then presented as a historic victory by the bureaucracy and its supporters, including the Biden white house. That I think is 100% accurate. Unfortunately. Yeah. Right. And then he's referring to the snap strike in Kentucky. Holland Langen, who's an analyst at Wells Fargo, told Automotive News, UAW leadership likely needs to strike Ford's most profitable plant to show the rank and file that they're extracting the, the most from the automaker. Consequently, we think this escalation is a sign that UAW could be close to a contract proposal with Ford the next one to two weeks. Well, Ford was supposed to deliver a, an agreement last week and didn't, and then Fain hit them with a strike on Friday. Now, this Friday, he didn't strike any new plants. Has, has GM come to the table? Not to my knowledge. He had something going with Stellantis, but I have not heard of any agreement being signed with Stellantis. Like, now, if they had gone fully out on strike, people would be panicking right now in the union to make a deal. I'll tell you right now, and I know that they're talking about that full strike is the only way to go. They only had 12 weeks to strike. And the OEA, the manufacturers just would have waited them out. They were going to wait them out. They were prepared to wait them out. Whatever pain they had to get out of that, they were ready to drain the UAW strike fund and make them accept whatever deal at the end that they wanted. And that's why Fain is dancing right now. The efforts by Fain yep. to suppress rank-and-file opposition and impose the dictates of the corporations was dealt a powerful blow last weekend when Mack truck workers rejected a UAW, a deal that the UAW president falsely promoted as a record contract for the heavy truck industry. We're going to cover Mack trucks in a couple minutes, but I like the way that he talked about this because this deal, why did they walk out? It included subinflation raises, no cost of living adjustments, extended work hours, and the maintenance of the hated two-tier wage and benefit system. And it was rejected by three-to-one margin. So nearly 4,000 Mack truck workers walked out on strike Monday morning in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Florida. Did three states walk out? Right? Yep. A leading role in opposing the sellout deal was played by Mack trucks worker Will Lehman, who, who of course ran for president, socialist candidate for UAW president, on a program of abolishing the UAW bureaucracy and transferring power from the union apparatus to workers on the shop floor. Man, that would have been cool. Workers have formed the Mack Trucks Rank and File Committee, which issued an open letter to Fane demanding the calling of an all-out strike of big three of all big three workers to win the demands of all auto and truck manufacturing workers. His feeling is if you shut them down, then they're going to cave and buckle. So a striking Kentucky worker told World Socialist website, this is what I never hear from anyone other than WSWS. Are 
workers that are encouraging continuing to strike and to continuing to push even harder. They put out a statement calling for an all-out strike, right? If they want, they want the same thing that auto workers want. If you want the company to keep treating you the way they do, then don't do anything. If you want it to stop, we have to use our power. And there's only one power that we have. Unfortunately, it's the power of our labor. So, Robert describes a mood in the plant before, well, well, before they walked out Wednesday evening. That was weird. Sorry, everyone. A lot of us were frustrated watching the information about profits and CEO pay. We were supposed to all strike on September 15th. <clears throat> what happened? For a month, we've been saying, we're Ford's largest plant. Why aren't we on strike? We're still working and others are, other workers are still on strike, even in Canada. Yeah, that's right, Hambo. That, that's right, old man Barker. Even even up in Canada. Hey. All right. Even with us out, that's not enough. Without us going all all on strike, there's no pressure, and the pressure is the only thing that makes a pipe burst. It's the workers who put these people on top of the mountain. The CEOs get raise after raise. These people are in power with their yachts and resorts. Again, going after the executives is nice. It's the earnings and the buybacks that I want to go after because it, it adds up to a whole lot more than all the salaries of all the executives combined. There is a growing rebellion of workers fueled by inflation and social equality. Earlier this week, 1,100 general dynamics workers in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania also voted by 97% to strike when their contract expires when the major defense contractor on October 22nd. And I hope they stay shut down forever. Shut down General Dynamics. More than 1,100 workers at Blue Cross Blue Shield have also been on strike for more than a month in Michigan, and Detroit casino workers cast a near-unanimous vote to strike. So they're saying that the efforts by the UAW bureaucracy to sabotage these struggles can only be defeated by expanding the auto workers' rank-and-file committee's network. Yeah. That's always what World Socialist website wants to do. Yep. But he's now going down to Mack Trucks, according to Friday's notification, you know, Friday, Friday's Facebook call. All right. The stand-up strikes have left the company's most profitable plants running, churning out enormous profits for management, while other workers struggle on $500 weekly strike pay. 100 bucks a day. There you go. Feed your family. What? Yep. Why can't Just they increase the low, low that? price? No, man. And he's not going to talk to auto workers. Because he's going to talk to Mack Trucks coffers. workers. Right, because they rejected. Right, and Biden. Yep. All right. He even with Biden the strike, even with the strike in Kentucky, more than three quarters of the UAW members have been ordered to remain on the job. This is a lot of the same thing, right? You have. This guy said, "What after what he did at Mack Trucks, how can I believe a word he said? When he endorsed the contract, supposedly a record contract, and they resoundingly voted it down, why did he endorse it and call it a record contract? Fair. The live stream again was delayed by 30 minutes, which the UAW has repeatedly attributed to last-minute offers from management. This is something we talked about on Friday Night Reef when, when I read this article. I'm like, oh, so, so what's happening here is management knows that 
Shane is about to address the entire UAW membership. So they decide to slide in a last-minute right. offer that now has to be reviewed before they can even go live and say anything. And it can't possibly really be reviewed in thorough until then. So they're basically guessing and hoping that it's right. And then whatever he agreed to or whatever was in it, like, it, wow. Um, he paid lip service to respecting the will of the mm. membership at Mac, who decisively voted down the miserable 19% wage raise over five years that he recommended. Historic 19% over five years. How much is infl- how much has inflation gone up in the last two years? At the same time, he hypocritically defended the pro company agreement he had backed, claiming that the contract they were offered had bigger general wage increases than anything at Mac in recent history or re- recent memory. Well, that isn't saying much, but you know, the UAW's phony stand-up strikes have been designed to minim- minimize the impact on corporate profits while exerting maximum financial pressure on workers. I don't think Fain would present it that way, but I do like the WSWSs. Particularly affected have been temporary part-time mm-hmm. workers who've seen drastic cuts in hours while being denied the right to apply for unemployment assistance. You hear a temporary part-time supplemental worker and member of the Warren Truck and rank and file committee said that right now they're laying people off and not giving the temporaries any work hours. All right. If they think they think that if we're desperate, we'll be more willing to take whatever deal they throw at us. Bain is siding with them, but that's not how it's going to work. We have to all strike and hit them where it hurts. Bain has already shown that he's not for us. He's for the companies who makes these decisions go little by little and to pick a plant here or there. He's calling on some plants but they're still producing pickup trucks and making a lot of money. This is not really affecting the big three's profits. I read the open letter to Fane, uh, or at least Olivia did uh, from the Mack truck workers. I agree with it. And I'm, this person did. They're proud of them for standing up for themselves. And it shows everyone else what we, that we can do it too. Against him who had recommended this deal. He's not looking out for their best interests. He's looking out for the best interests of the UAW, which don't necessarily align with the specific 4,000 workers at Mack Trucks, even though he would say that they do. He also sought to adopt a pose of internationalism, just like a Democrat. See this? Wearing a red hoodie, divided by, who was this? The, The Italian guys. Yeah, we want an all-out strike. Gucci. Maserati. Right. So it's not good. Um, we don't have UAW leadership. We're now into the fourth week. They've now taken out one truck plant. For how long, I don't know. Is that indefinite or is that temporary? Remains to be seen. Or is it... Th- Compare it. Right. Workers confront an entire economic and social order, capitalism, that no longer serves even the most elementary needs of the vast majority in society. The current irrational social order must be replaced by a society based on the production for human needs, not private profit. That is, of course, 
the Trotskyite socialist society in utopia that they dream is going to be America someday. And Rumble just exploded, by the way, because of that. Damn socialists! You're not taking over this country! Oh, I love you, Rumble. The socialists, they took our germ. Derpidurge! Derpidurge! (laughs) All right. Those damn comments, god dang it. Bobby, I said no more. It's been a um, another night, and uh, we're gonna pray for peace everywhere. Please, um, mm-hmm. we need that. And um, yeah, I love you all, and thank you for being here. And keep listening to. No, that's your line, right? I'm I'm gonna say to <laughs> keep questioning everyone's motivation. See, it's late, everyone. <laughs> Keep listening to my little birds have to tell you. Good night, fam. Mwah. Ciao, baby. Indie News Network, collaborative family of independent content creators. Co-hosted only by me, Indy. I'm founder and editor of Indie Left News and Indie Media Today. I got Reef Freeland sitting next to me. At Kennedy News. It's Andrew Rivera on the handsome cynic. It's politics and survival. Uh, my name is Jesse Jett. It's American tradition. Stop space monkeys. Welcome to Political Fight Club. I'm Robert Durden. There, I mean, I mostly make Gar Brian in. Big Man Crab Joe. Keep up those great videos. Hey guys, it's Yeti. Uh, coming at you. Hello, my name is Lucy from Big Moon Red Wine. This is Chris Legion. I think I liked it better being blind When I couldn't read between the lines And when I couldn't see the cracks in the structure That lay bare before me the whole time I think I liked it better back when I Suspended disbelief and swallowing pride I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue But they both bleed us so dry both bleed us so dry My favorite songs don't hit the same way I get to the end of a four minute track And I'm only looking back thinking What did they actually say? So 